Hello and welcome to another episode of Stardust MQ. I'm Cameron Furlong. My guest today is Professor Mark Wardle. Hi everybody, I'm Mark Wardle. Uh, I'm a professor at Macquarie Uni and astrophysicist. Now, I've been referring to Mark, to my team, as my white whale for this podcast because I really wanted to talk to him uh, because he's such an interesting researcher and scientist and also because he's very, very difficult to book. <laughs> I finally managed to get a hold of Mark. Thanks, Kelly. And we talked about his work in astronomy and astrophysics, as well as uh, his love of mathematics and the reasons why he got into astronomy in the first place. Of all the fields of science that exist, why did you choose astronomy? I'd like to say it was a measured decision, actually, but uh, it was actually a random progress through education. I was very poor at thinking ahead of what I want to do in the future and came from a background really uh, you know, my parents didn't go to university and so on. So I had no idea you could actually find work doing this kind of thing. I knew I liked physics and maths. I did have an interest uh, as a, a kid in astronomy, had a small battered telescope, um, looked at stars and so on. So I, I had that interest just from stumbling across things in some single volume encyclopedia back in the days before the internet. And I remember my grandfather actually passed and he apparently had some interest in astronomy, which I wasn't aware of, and passed me like a, a little book on the stars and constellations and so on. That's what really got me interested as a kid. But really, it was just, um, I guess, going through university, doing an undergraduate degree, I was kind of physics or maths, which will I do? I, I knew I liked kind of more theory, and I wasn't really aware of astrophysics as having a real theoretical component. Uh, until I stumbled into it for a master's degree, actually. One of the, turns out one of the physics professors uh, was into uh, cosmic rays uh, and had a detector up in the top of the building, kind of detect interesting particles in cosmic rays because he was a, a particle physicist by training. And he offered a, a project on uh, cosmic antiprotons uh, because there'd been a claim detection of some antiprotons incident on the Earth from space at much higher numbers than predicted. And so he wanted me to look at all kinds of exotic things like evaporating black holes and so on. And I did a, by his standards, much more pedestrian, plain astrophysics explanation. <laughs> uh, but it actually, it was really getting my hands dirty doing the research in the field. I, I realized I, I like thinking about things conceptually. Um, and I like maths, but not just screeds of equations for their own sake. I like to really connect it to real systems. <laughs> Sniggers at that. With real world applications, I like to call. <laughs> right. And I, I found I like, I like dealing with the mix of physics. You know, if there's a bit of physics that's interest you, interests you, it's out there in space somewhere and you can go find it and work out there in some cool, cool setting. But I think I also thrived on the uncertainty in that you don't actually know things with a high degree of precision, if any, and you have to try and find things that are robust to that lack of information. And the key is identifying problems that you can actually make a contribution to that actually makes a contribution instead of just gets a paper published and it just disappears because it's you know, just isn't something that's really testable or, or is really robust uh, to 
everything we don't know and then find out later. And um, you've done a lot of work with the planets. So why, where, what got you? Well, you've done some work. <laughs> you've you've done a, some work. You've, <laughs> don't do the head name. Don't do the head shake. You make me feel conscious about the questions I'm asking. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. I oh, sorry. I said well. <laughs> yeah, I could tease you mercilessly about about the old days, but I won't do that. Um, the uh, yes, I have done some work on planets. Not a huge amount, actually. Um, I guess I got into that through, so it, it wasn't really planets in our solar system, it's the uh, planets uh, forming around other stars. Uh, and I guess before that I was interested in how uh, gas clouds collapse to form stars and disks of material around them. And because planets form in these disks, uh, it was kind of natural once everybody started thinking about this because we started to get observations in of, of planetary systems around other stars and that infinite variety uh, that I could make some degree of a contribution to that. Mainly actually more focused on the dynamics of the dusty uh, gas uh, in orbit around a young star, uh, really just as the planet formation process gets going. But I had a very good student, um, Sarah Keith, who did some work on a gas flow onto giant planets, you know, that helps form them within the disks. Uh, some of that material, so you end up with like a miniature disk around the planet, which is like a small scaled down version of the disk of material that you get orbiting the star. It's kind of interesting. So we could use some of the same techniques and ideas to, to look at that. Um, yeah, it's, it's been funny, you know, I'm at the, uh, tail end of my career in terms of, I mean, I, I'm just going to keep going forever, don't get me wrong, but it's interesting, you pick up this, this perspective of you just see how the field changes over the decades, I'm afraid to say that now, and it's kind of interesting to see a new area like this spring into existence and the amount of activity it's generated, and how easy it is to feel like you're getting a bit left behind as an older codger, whereas you know, the new people coming through are just thriving in the area. It's kind of interesting to see that. And a, a lot of fun, actually, to realise that there'll always be fascinating new things to be worked on. Things that we... We knew there were planets out there, but we had no idea about the variety there would be. So I was, I'm as I'm listening, I'm formulating questions in my head as I go along. So you, okay. you mentioned no uh, back in, in response to my first question um, that you like to look at maths and mathematics and equations and, and um, yeah. the real world applications with the, with the big uh, quotation, with the big quotation marks here. So what, what do you mean by that? How do you like to do that? Um, I think, you know, I always, I guess I think of it in terms of the different approaches to the, the same thing and different viewpoints looking at the same object and, and the different kinds of insight you can get out. So, so I guess, you know, you, you can use words and, and have these conceptual ideas about how, or understanding of how things work and intuition, if you like. So, you know, if you've got, if you've got a, a black hole here and there's gas swirling around and, you know, some ideas about what might happen and so on. And, um, your intuition is based on previous stuff you've understood, whether it be in classes or research that you've done yourself or other people's talks. And you're trying to apply that in a new situation. Uh, so that's the start, but it's never enough. You, it's not precise enough. 
right? So um, you need equations to describe the world more precisely, but those in themselves are not the be all and end all because uh, uh, people can get into fights over the same equation and what it means. <laughs> but the equation is the equation, right? It's like, well, what do you mean if you've got F equals MA? What, what is mass? What is force? Really, you know, so there are all these kinds of things that go on. But I think what I really like is, um, is how you can use the equations and sometimes more the mathematics behind the equations as an approach to understanding a problem. So one example is for my PhD, I did some work on, on shock waves in interstellar space. These are things that are driven into interstellar space by say supernova explosions or something. And uh, it'd been known for a long time that magnetic fields were important in determining the structure of the shock waves. And it turned out that in the right conditions, you could actually study the heating and chemistry of the gas as it gets overrun by the shock wave. And so I did some work looking at the stability of the shock waves, more precisely of people's models of the shock waves, <laughs> and showed that there was this fluid dynamical instability that led to a buckling of the field. And um, so that's the verbal statement. And I can, you know, if I, if I had a half hour, I could probably give a reasonable um, intuitive description of, of why the instability happens. Uh, but part of the approach to that, I leaned heavily on, on linear algebra uh, because uh, you think about perturbing the structure and it turns out that equations that describe the evolution of perturbations are, are linear. Uh, and so you can apply matrix techniques. I was using eigenvalues and eigenvectors and all these. And then I was in the complex plane for a bit, looking for poles in the complex plane, all the problems to, to solve these <laughs> equations. And so you can start bringing all this weird mathematical stuff. The mathematical stuff has its own rich life. But then when it's applied to physics, there's physical meaning behind each of those things. So it's kind of interesting that an eigenvalue uh, corresponds to the growth rate or decay rate or the oscillatory behavior of a perturbation in a shock wave, for example. And the eigenvector is, gives you the structural information about how the perturbations in velocity are related to density and magnetic fields. And there's these weird connections like, like this. And so you can use the mathematical theorems to help you solve the equations, but they also tell you how the physical equations work, what the limitations are on there, how to think about them. Uh, and it tells you something about the physical system. And sometimes it works the other way. The physical intuition tells you something about the mathematics because you've got an insight from the physics that you understand, like energy is conserved or something might tell you, it tells you something about the equations that describe that system as well, because they have to behave in a way that conserves energy, which corresponds to some conservation principle in the equations. This is quite rich. And that interconnection I've always found fascinating. I like to think I'm kind of okay at both those aspects. Uh, so there's kind of the, the physics, the mathematics, and I also quite like messing around with computation as well. Not big simulations, but solving ordinary differential equations or algebraic equations, linear algebra, those kinds of things. Uh, I like that aspect as well. And sometimes I'm blindly doing that and learning something from that about the same system as well. So you have these different ways of looking at the problem and desperate attempt, firstly, to try and understand it and then to reconcile the actual problem 
and then to try and reconcile those different points of view and make sure they all make sense as well. It's kind of fun. And it's that intellectual endeavor that I really like doing. I, you know, we've got these glass-walled offices here, eh? Yes. Uh, and I've got a big whiteboard in mine, which is quite unusual these days because I like to squiggle on it. Mm. And often I'm staring at the whiteboard at some, either something that's on or not on the whiteboard, intimidating my colleagues as they walk past <laughs> by the corridor. It's like Wardley thinking again. <laughs> Who gets time to think these days? And, you know, that's when I'm really, you, you know, there's this idea of having a sense of flow when you're in the middle of a task and you're just focused on that and nothing else in the whole world. And I really like that feeling. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> something I'm, we're all chasing. <laughs> I get that. It is, yeah. and so the fact that I can actually do that for large chunks of time, when I do get time to do it, you know, there's other things that you have to do in these jobs, um, which many of those I also enjoy. Actually, uh, it's great. Actually, you know, I just get so such a buzz from it sometimes when I realise. I guess it's the privilege of actually being paid to do something that you enjoy. You know, it, you have to be good at whatever it is, sure, but you, and there has to be amount of luck to get you into that situation. <laughs> you, you can you can strive for it, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. And it's kind of fun to uh, just feel just tremendous pleasure some days. And then other days I'm real depressed because it's all going too slow. Or there was a minor sign that I'd missed <laughs> that sent me off down the wrong path for a month. I, I kid you not. These things happen. <laughs> it's it's a funny uh, abstract struggle I have sometimes in front of the board or pieces of paper. Or no, the 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 phantom minus sign has been has uh, has plagued me <laughs> since high yeah. school. So I yeah. know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I can empathise. <laughs> I feel so stupid when I find it. Oh, it's it's terrible. <laughs> You mentioned um, you mentioned uh, that people have gone into into fights over mathematical equations. Have you ever gotten into a fight over a mathematical equation, or are you more of a mathematical pacifist? I don't pacifist? like conflict. I'm a bit of a wimp, actually. Um, You're one of those mathematical pacifists. Passive aggressive, I think, <laughs> more like. <laughs> it's more my style, I'm ashamed to say, but I'm, I'm old enough to admit it. Um, yeah, I haven't... I've seen, I mean, there's a few well-known... Conflict is, I mean, I'm not really focusing on the personal side at all, actually, but just just the more interesting side. Uh, and, you know, there's, so one of the things I deal with a lot is uh, how magnetic fields interact with gas and how the magnetic forces push on the gas and vice versa and how that structures the field and can control the evolution and so on. So that's a well-developed theory. Um, and it's basically Maxwell's equations with some, gas thrown in in a sense it's it's quite a, there's a, a very pretty way you can develop the equations it's very nice and everybody agrees on that but then when it comes to using the equations in anger in a real system um there's kind of been two distinct distinct approaches and it's all about how you specify boundary conditions or even you can have the set of physical equations, like the, the laws of physics expressed in a set of equations, but the, the nitty gritty can come down to kind of, that doesn't tell you everything, right? I can write down the law of gravity and F equals MA, that doesn't tell me the solar system, <laughs> right? And so there has to be, you have to know where the masses are and the velocities and, and so on. There's other information you need. Yeah. Um, and so 
you can use the same physical equations to, you know, because they describe quite general things like the equations of fluid dynamics. You think of all the different fluids, you know, the air in the room, water in the sink, completely different systems doing completely different stuff. But the actual equations that describe their behavior is basically the same, about three lines of them. But the differences are all in, well, what is the density? Does the liquid compress? Did you turn the tap on or not yet? Is there a plug hole somewhere in the system? All these things that lie outside the equations themselves. So I, that's what I mean when I say boundary conditions. It's a bit more general than a mathematical uh, idea of boundary conditions for differential equations. But it's those things that are equally important. So you need both. <laughs> and so the way we've got these set of equations that describe fluids with magnetic fields, and then there's a wrong way to use them and the right way. And a lot of people have used the wrong way. It turns out there's a big difference between doing stuff in the laboratory and doing stuff in space, because in the laboratory, you make stuff happen by using electric fields to drive currents, right? You've got a power supply and that drives currents and that makes magnetic fields and then they interact and so on. Or you can do induction and run things backwards and so on. It turns out in interstellar space, the electric field is kind of subsidiary and it's the magnetic field that's important. And it's to do with time scales and dimensional scales and so on, they're a completely different regime. And people walk into that and apply ideas that work in the lab where you've got boundaries to systems, real solid boundaries, instead of some infinite space. And it turns out you have the same equations, but if you make different assumptions about what's really driving the system, you get very different results. <laughs> and I've got to say that I'm, you know, the, the camp that specifies currents and then solves based on that, they usually get wrong results. But in principle, they could get the same, but it turns out much harder to formulate the boundary conditions correctly with that approach than the more general, okay, you've got a magnetic field and it's variation from place to place determines the currents, not the other way around. So th there's that kind of considerations. You've, you've sort of touched on it before, but what's, what's been the most re rewarding thing that you've found from your career? Is there like a specific project I think that you, you mean in terms of a, a result, a result in some sense? Well, it could be like, anything, you know, a yeah. specific project or, you know, something that you worked on or even just like you I said. think it really is something to do with those. Uh, sometimes it's a breakthrough moment, which and they don't happen very like there might have been four or so during my career. One of them was that actually that when I talked about the shockwaves buckling and so on was that was actually at the beginning of my actual PhD work, fortunately, and it's what set the whole tone for the thesis, but I had a quiet think and came up with this thing. It's like, <laughs> that these things could be unstable. You know, it took me two years to actually show that this was the case formally, but the intuition was there just out of the blue, but it was actually a translation of an instability in a different circumstance that I could, I could see the analogy and see that this would work. Um, but that was very, fun because you figured something out all of a sudden and then it's a slog to show it uh and there's been i think that's my favorite kind of science result to have is to see something that other people have missed uh that actually does have some impact so the other thing that i think is probably the biggest impact was to realize the description of how magnetic fields interact with gas uh was incomplete in a very important way 
Um, there's something called the, the Hall effect that is well known from physics labs and so on, but uh, usually didn't apply in interstellar space. It turns out it did apply quite, it does apply quite extremely in planet forming disks where the conditions are quite different. And I was the, I guess, think I was the first person to really realize that. It's actually interesting. There was a bit of discussion about that effect uh, in the 50s. 1950s and then it kind of and early 60s and then it kind of died out and people just make standard approximations and just got on with it which were valid most of the time but it turns out not all the time so I got in there I was lucky in, to stumble across it I wouldn't say I just walked in and, and sorted it out I, it was very groping in the dark kind of coming to this is the bit that's missing and this is the best way to describe it and, oh it's this thing that people used to talk about quite a bit <laughs> Uh, but forgot about, a generation forgot about it. Um, so if that kind of thing is is what I like, you know, in terms of things I've found, it's, it's that kind of thing. Um, I think more generally, I really like having a good science discussion with somebody, um, just talking through a problem, both being puzzled at the same time. There's a connection there that's kind of fun. You're struggling for a common purpose is nice. Uh, I've had some good, I've got a long running collaboration, which is more, <laughs> you'd almost, I shouldn't, probably these days, I can't even say this, like a husband and wife team, but we're both guys, both scientists, but we've been collaborating for it's some horrific number of years. Let me just do it. Let me get it right. 35 wow. years or something stupid like that on a variety of projects. He's a radio astronomer. I can help interpret the observations and do some simple modeling that's very useful and so on. So a lot of work, the work I've done on the center of our galaxy is with Farages of Sade, who's a radio astronomer at Northwestern University in the States. And we have a, uh, it's, you get to the point, you know, we're friends and we've had this long history of work and we annoy each other now and again, well, reasonably often actually, <laughs> but we get over it. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of fun to, you know, do this stuff and make some friends as good as well. I'm probably not as good at that as other people. I tend to be quite distant. Um, but uh, it's the, the people, you know, are, are a lot of fun. I, I, while I've, since you're interviewing many of us here in this department, I just want to mention this department, physics and astronomy, has actually been awesome in terms of having a bunch of colleagues. I've been here since 2002 and just love it here because it's, I think it's, of the departments I've been in and seen or heard about, it's probably the most open, welcoming, friendly, collegial, transparent, well-run <laughs> department I've ever seen in my life. So I've been very lucky to be part of that. And that really is luck. Um, I've seen, it's not like other departments are all bad, but they're just not as good in terms of day-to-day -day chatting to your colleagues and just enjoying them as people. Just, you know, we don't fight each other there might be differences and so on but so in terms of the workplace that's been very rewarding as well to be part of that stardust mq is a podcast made with the support of the macquarie university department of physics and astronomy and the macquarie university physics and astronomy society thanks to oliver doherty for editing this episode our intro music is by poddington bear and our outro theme is from ketsa i'll talk to you next time